Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about an old movie. Maybe the oldest movie we've talked about on the podcast to date. I think it's gotta be. I don't know if we've done anything in the 60s before or not. I don't think we have. Anyway, today we're both very excited to be talking to you about the 1966 Rock Hudson film, Seconds. Bizarre, terrifying. Rock Hudson, in an astonishing change of pace, stars in seconds. Rock Hudson as a second, freed from all responsibilities, now ready to taste new pleasures. Rock Hudson, as a man who buys for himself a totally new life, a chance to begin again. Every man's dream since time began. As soon as these people leave, I'm going to attack you. I want you to know that. I'm counting on it. Rock Hudson, as a man who lives the nightmare of being a second. Why you staring at me like that? <laughs> Hey, John. Hey, John. <laughs> hey, John. Why are they staring at me like that? They know. <laughs> they know what? They're like you. Reborn. Oh, Laura! Do you have a synopsis for it, Mr. Huddleston? I do. As you said, it's a 1966 film. It, it, it stars Rock Hudson, uh, Frank Camp Campanella. Oh, my, damn it, my phone died. Oh. <laughs> All right. I can pull it up. So you want this, me to do it? Yeah, you do it. You must uh, entertain the audience for one moment. I, I can't juggle. I don't have anything I can juggle. I, I'm not a good singer. I don't know. I'm kind of <laughs> well. not going to be able to entertain people all right seconds is a 1966 american psychological horror science fiction film directed by john frankenheimer starring as you said rock hudson salome jens john randolph and will greer it tells the story of a middle-aged new york banker who disillusioned with his life contacts an agency known as the company which specializes in providing rebirths under new identities and appearances altered by plastic surgery. All right. I think we'll say this is a really old film. Uh, we're going to spoil it, uh, but it's 
I, I think it's a worthwhile film to, you know, yep. that I think a yep. lot of people probably aren't aware of. Came um, out in 1966. If you haven't, if you don't know yeah, what yeah. happened yet. But yeah, we're going to spoil, but it's, uh, I, mean, I didn't this know that to be fair, I had never heard of it either. So it's available. You get it on prime. I watched it on one of the free app things where they showed the same commercial every five minutes. Uh, oh, but anyway, so I had seen this once before, but you, so you were unaware of this. So why don't you I start? Never, okay. Um, first thing I'll say right off the top, um, is man movies in 1966 had a different sense of pacing than films today do for sure which is not to say that this movie is bad or boring i didn't find it either it just i felt like shots lingered way longer than they needed to you know he would take an ambling walk down the beach and keep walking and i had the thought to myself still cut here walking on the yeah, still walking on the beach, aren't we? Um, so I think that that was just a that's just something a function of how filmmaking as an art form has changed in front of popular audiences. Um, Rock Hudson is great. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch a movie from this era, you know, with the thin ties and the cocktail parties and the they the lean hard in the their suits and hats and and it's in. They ride the Metro North, which I've been doing a lot recently. So seeing that in 1966 was interesting. And, uh, you know, they go to Grand Central Station and it's I, I think there, there's a nostalgia element of it that's cool there. Um, it's it's a, you know, I think psychological thriller is right. It's not precisely horror. And it's it's not especially thrilling. But it does unpack some interesting stuff in terms of identity and second chances and what we make of our life and, you know, what we're able to adapt to and let go of and, you know, and what we're not. So and I thought the performances were all good. They, they were performances were interesting. Um, I thought the script was pretty well written. I guess my only. Uh, so that's all good stuff. My only criticism, top level criticism of it would be is it it seemed to the idea of, you know, what it wanted to say or what kind of a movie this is seemed to sort of shift a couple of times throughout. So at first. You know, I, at first I thought it was a thriller, maybe even a horror movie, but like a, a true sort of cloak and dagger style thriller. And in the middle, we get into more of um, it's a think piece about, you know, what what how do we define ourselves and what do we make of our lives? And, you know, if we had a second chance, what would we do with it? You know, and and, and then seeing that through other people's eyes, seeing ourselves through our own eyes and seeing ourselves through other people's eyes. And uh, and then by the end, it sort of tries to tries to get back on the thriller track it's sort of like oh right this is a thriller and and but i just felt that that happened very late in the film to recover may not be the right word but to sort of get back on that track you know mm -hmm. but i will reiterate i despite that criticism i did find it interesting all the way through and i'm glad you suggested it because i enjoyed watching it oh good good yeah so uh as I said, this I had seen this before. I 
I saw this high school or college, you know, it was on late at night to just caught it on like a Turner classic movies or something like that. And uh, just watched it the one time. And it's always kind of stuck with me. Um, I remembered more about this than I, than I thought I would. I, I thought I just kind of had the gist of it, but I, I remembered most of the beats of this, except the ending. I didn't, I didn't remember how it ended. Um, but you know, this is a movie that hits you much differently at whatever I was 18, 19, 20 or something like that. At that time, I, I remembered this movie being a lot more disturbing than what it was hmm. watching it now as an adult, it's more sad than anything. And, and like you said, it, it is, you know, kind of a thriller, but it's, it seems to be much more a commentary. You know, there's a part in the, so basically to kind of flesh out what the story is a little bit more, he's a guy that's just in a, a loveless marriage. He has a, seems to be very successful in terms of, uh, you know, he seems to have a good career and he has this nice kind of all American house, you know, and, and all of that. And, but, you know, his his he and his wife are there's there's no thrill in their marriage anymore and beds yeah separate yeah and uh so you know he is he has a friend who has gone through this procedure and um well he gets a call he gets sort of recruited as we find out right yeah, he gets recruited by this friend, a, who, which the friend is. He doesn't the, recognize the the. He gets a call from a guy who purports to be his friend, right? And he because his friend is dead, in, and and the guy as, knows his quote unquote friend knows things that only his friend would know. So it's very, you know, we see him on the phone in a flop sweat trying to wrestle with this. Yeah, and so what we find out is that. Oh, and sorry, one this, more thing. Oh, the, sorry. Yeah, he, it's not Rock Hudson at first. This is right. another actor. We there is a transformation, and he he ends up looking. Rock Hudson finishes the performance. Right, it's the same character after significant plastic surgery. Yeah. Proceed. So what they do is they you know this company they they fake the person's death and then you know do plastic surgery on them to you know completely so they have a completely new identity and what you find out is they they blackmail the uh so with him they drug him when he gets there and then they there's this kind of very surreal scene where there's a woman in a bed and he's on top of her and you don't really know what's going on well they had drugged him and then they recorded him in this room with this woman and it's basically like the you know the implication is that he you raped know, we're her. gonna make it look like he raped her, or at least they're gonna make it look like he did. So it's like ah, you don't have any choice but to sign everything over yeah. to us. No going um, back. But but then, so then but then, and I just want to dial in for a second. There's a great scene where this old man, friendly old man, comes in who apparently started the company and is the owner of the company, and get and talks him into it. He's like, don't don't. So he's like, so it's blackmail now. And he's like, don't don't get too hung up on that, son. You know, he's like, mm -hmm. honestly. So you can't go back, but you don't be honest with yourself. You don't want to go back. Right. And he's like, really, what is it? What is your what? How much? What does your wife mean to you? Literally, like right now, what's your relationship with her? Would you miss that? You know, what about your daughter? Well, we don't see much of her anymore. And he sort of talks him through it. 
into this idea like against you're going to get the start all over. You're going to get everything you ever wanted. You're going to be better looking. You're going to have a career. You're all going to be you're going to be set up. Your wife and daughter, they're all taken care of. Our trust is going to make sure that they're all well cared for, that you're well cared for. To back up one second, it wasn't clear to me that he had any idea this was where he was going. His friend says, show up at this place tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't, he didn't opt in to some transformation thing. It's just he came to believe that this stranger actually was his friend. So he shows up and then the next thing you know, (laughs) they're asking him to sign that there's no going back. They never explained to him what they're going to do until they've already hooked him, right? I thought that was crazy. But once he's there and the old man talks to him, it's kind of like, well, you're right. I mean, I don't see my daughter very, you know, we don't see her very often. And what is it he says with his wife? He's like, well, we're, we're comfortable with, we get along or we're comfortable with each other, but it's like, there's no passion or anything. Yeah. And we, we see that earlier. She tries to, he hasn't been feeling well because of these calls and he's, he's, we real, the picture that I got from this marriage, what we see of it is that he is a man who has always kept himself at arm's length. It's not mm-hmm. his wife, right? It's him that withholds. And she's not henpecking or, you know what I mean? She she seems very nice and very open and genuinely cares about him. And we don't see a lot of that relationship, but we do see her sincerely asking about his day and concerned about him because she was up late the night before. And are you okay? And was it a serious call? And he's like, oh, leave me alone. I mean, he's a little brusque. He's not a jerk mm-hmm. about it, but he's like, I'm sorry. I just, he, he has walled himself off in this mm-hmm. marriage. Anyway, I keep hijacking. Oh, no, 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 no. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things that are really sad about that, that, you know, it's like he, he reinvents himself. He's able to, you know, they reinvent him and he's younger and better looking. He's Rock Hudson. He's Rock Hudson. <laughs> As you can see, if you're watching, I mean, this is him right after <laughs> surgery behind him. Yeah. Uh, but, and they set up this, you know, this kind of cool life for, and they say to him, like, uh, you know, if you could be anything, what would you what would you want to be? I forget what the first thing that is that he says. Oh, a tennis pro. Tennis pro. And, and then I, and was I guess like, it's what? like, but then he and his buddy were like tennis champs at Yale or something. So you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. No, he really loves tennis. But I guess maybe they couldn't, maybe that was too tall of a task to set that up. But then they're like, well, if you couldn't do that, what would you do? And yeah. he says, well, I guess I'd be a painter. So they're like, okay, you're a painter. Well, and um, a tennis pro is public, right? True. Yeah. Tennis mm-hmm. pro is public and he, they don't make him younger. I mean, they make him better looking, but I mean, he's probably our age. I don't know. People looked older. Okay. So that was something did. that I wanted to get to. And the, this is where you get Not in this magic. thing of, they just make that handsomer. This is one of these things where you get into, it's like, Oh, the, the older you get, you're watching movies and, you know, starts to freak you out. So I looked it up. He was rock Hudson was 41. Well, what was the other was, actor? How the old? other actor was 10 years older than him. Yeah. Um, so and that's what two. I meant is that the, the, the starting character was a man in his. Oh, I see. Okay. Middle yeah. age. And, you know, he was a little more heavy set than rock cuts. And they sort of explained that away. But one of the things I really liked about the casting and the other actor, I'm ashamed. I don't know his name. Um, he's a handsome man. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, he's a little got a meteor face and he's not. Got a rock build. And then they show the faces side by side and you're kind of like, you know, 
that could work. Yeah. A really similar bone structure. Like you lose some of the weight and you change the nose a little bit and the brows and they, they show him putting it like a little chin implant on to give him more mm-hmm. pronounced chin and stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, I could sort of, I can go with that. Like, that's not insane. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. Um, like completely implausible. So, but then they said, what's your second choice? And he said, uh, I guess a painter. Right. right. A creative lifestyle. So they basically kind of set it up in a way sort of to have everything that it almost kind of this dream life. And, but there's a, there's a scene in the film where he says that, um, you know, all the things that society tells you that you should have, I had, and it didn't really matter. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but for 1966, that was, you know, that was probably a pretty progressive, uh, view in a film i'm just guessing you know um and then there's a scene later where he goes and they you know this is forbidden essentially but but he goes back to see his wife yes and he says you know he had become friends with her husband he goes back to see his wife as the new him as As rock hudson yeah Yeah, so he, he doesn't tell her Although there is a, did you notice the scene where he's sort of sitting there and there's a kind of a unconscious yes. way that he folds his hands and and then there's a shot of her noticing that and I yes, thought, is she gonna is she gonna put it together that this is her husband from his mannerisms or something? But they don't they don't go there. I, that was interesting that they I I had that same thought, but he uh, he asks about some paintings that he had had in his garage. And she says, oh, you know, I cleared everything out. And it's, you know, that also is a really kind of a touching scene because you see that, you know, the wife didn't hate him or anything like that and thought he was a good man and a kind man and, and all of this. But, you know, she it hadn't even been a year and she'd just gotten rid of all of his stuff. Well, you know? he said he threw him away and she right. was, she was a little abashed. She's like, well, I mean, it wasn't like that, you know, <laughs> I mean, she's like, but but you the subtext to me was like, he never let me into his painting. He did those paintings when he was in college or something. like he didn't paint. It was never a part of our lives. They just took up space in the garage and mm-hmm. he never it's not like they were hanging on the walls, you know, they meant something to him a long time ago, but they never, he never let them mean anything to me. Right. Like going to do with them, you know, yeah. but he's very hurt by that. Yeah. And it's just, it's so interesting to, I think to see, you know, and you think, okay, what if you could your spouse or, or whomever your partner if you could see what they truly think of you, you know what I mean? It's just an interesting thing where he's able to go and talk to his wife yeah, and her just kind of tell the stranger what she really thought of him. And she said, Um, she said, you know, he kind of kept me at arm's length. Like, yeah, I don't know how much more I can tell you. He was a very private person. He didn't share much with me, even when I asked, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's this sort of dawning on, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere, but he's hearing her and it's sort of like he can't 
it's not like an argument where she's blaming him for difficulties in the marriage to his face. This is a stranger asking about her marriage. And she's just sort of saying, you know, I, he never really let me in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, so this all starts, we need to back up a little bit. He, when, when they, they place him in this like beachside community where it turns out that either everyone or m- almost everyone is a second as well. And there's a sort of a manservant there to, to take care of him. And he meets a woman who we find out is also one of the seconds. And she takes him to this sort of California Bacchanalian wine thing. And I said, it's supposed to be this moment, I guess, where he lets he's he's uptight and uncomfortable. And there's a moment where they sort of literally drag him into the wine vat. Mm-hmm. And then he fights and resists and then ultimately he lets go right and then there's a so then there's this arc of him coming to adapt to this second chance and feeling like something is missing and 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 they have a cocktail party where he gets absolutely trashed and he starts talking about the before and after right i mean he's really blotto and everybody else is like shut up man you know stop talking about it um and that's when he that's when he he goes to see his wife and uh it turns out on rogue at that point yes and after doing that they kind of come and get him and he ends up back in the thing and he's like okay listen i figured it out like i i understand now so do surgery on me again Basically, what he's saying is, okay, give me a give me a third chance. Mm -hmm. Right. And this time. This time I know what you know, now I see the value of it. Right. But then the 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 horror twist part of this comes in because they're not they're not going to do surgery on him again. When they fake someone's death, they use another corpse and he is going to become some other new and, you know, client's corpse they're going to kill him and basically make it look like he's yet again somebody else who has died yeah and it's scary they have a ball gag in his mouth and they've tied him to the gurney and he realizes what's going on he's just screaming it goes on and on and you're just like it's really sad it's Mm -hmm. not super scary no It, it really does feel tragic where you're like you know this guy didn't ask for this Mm -mm. he's not a bad Man, no, in any way, he no, just... you can talk about like he and you know what mistakes he may or may not have, what regrets he may have, but he wasn't a cruel man or an evil man or even a greedy man, he was just an unhappy man, and he got sort of swept up in this in this weird pyramid scheme model mm-hmm. and couldn't take it. And then they kill him, and you're just like, man, that sucks. <laughs> there were there were a few questions that I had about about some various things in the, in this that I wondered what you thought about. First of all, so the old man, he talks to him a, a couple of different times. And so the old man has, has started this company and he, he tells him when, when they're going to, when he thinks they're going to do the surgery on him for the second time to get, you know, a, a, be a third or whatever. Um, he tells him that it, it, there's like a pretty high failure rate with with this um and that he you know and you don't know how much sincerity there is in all of this but that he 
it's kind of like the old man is sort of bummed out that that it it doesn't work out a little better than what it does. Um, so one of the questions that I have is, you know, obviously they're they're taking the money from these guys because they're signing everything over to you right. know. So that's they're the business model. <laughs> yeah, that's their business model is getting this money. But getting high, someone you basically co-op, you blackmail him, you co-opt all of their wealth. And then part of it is they get a second chance to do what live the, whatever life they want and they're well taken care of, but they don't control their finances anymore. Yeah. So that's the question that I have there. So they, they, they're taking their money. Um, so what is the motivation there to, I mean, it, did this old man sincerely, did he sincerely think that he was improving people's lives? And also, why why do this setup where they're they're in this community with just all other people like them? Is it just so people don't find out? I think they're. It, I think it's just isolating, and it doesn't seem like you're forbidden contact with mm-hmm. the outside world. Like she takes him to that wine making thing or whatever. And assume presumably those people are just regular people. And presumably that. not everybody at that cocktail party, which, you know, his little house is just full of people. Presumably not everybody there is a second. They have dates and guests and other right. things like that. But the people that live in that community seem to be placed there as seconds. Right. That's why they're so menacingly like, Stop talking about it, you know? And so also, so he has, so his friend who, uh, you know, has recruited him to be, and and so then it's like, once you're in it, you're supposed to be recruiting other people. So it's like this, like you're saying Ponzi scheme or multi-level marketing or whatever, you know, it's kind of that kind of a thing. But so the friend who has been calling him, he finally sees him. So they have kind of an, like a, office that they work in where I guess they're calling the the new recruits and that guy who is his friend is and I can't recall what his name is but he's the mayor from Jaws oh yeah Um, yeah he looks a lot that guy and Hal Holbrook are a lot alike to me they've always been kind of similar but at any rate uh they so are they just continually recycling these people are they just um you know, I mean, do they with all of them, do you think if they if they get out of line, then they just kill them and use their body for another second or seems to be? Yeah. And not everybody in that waiting room. So the guy gets up and leaves and he's smiling and nodding. He's like, oh, it's my turn. We'll get together. And the guy's like, yeah, OK, buddy. You know, and you're mm-hmm. like, well, this is clearly the Rock Hudson character is not picking up on this, but there's. Uh, one or both of them are not coming back, basically. Right. And he leaves. And, and my interpretation of that is sort of like. The other guy screwed up in some way, but they're not necessarily going to kill him or what would be his motivation to continue to help them. To So he's going to go on to some second iteration or or he's going to get put back in the mix. Mm hmm. And and Rock Hudson is just a hard no. Like there's no redeeming this guy. Um, yeah. But I don't know what all the other guys in the room were doing, or and we see that and why they have to wait. Like they're like waiting their turn. I wasn't sure exactly. You know. 
Yeah, it's either waiting their turn for a second surgery or as a turn. It's just a waiting room. It turns out he's waiting for them to be ready to kill him and surgically make him look like somebody who's had a car accident. They with with the bodies, they it needs to be identifiable as the quote unquote deceased, but it can't be. They remove dental records so that the, the accident they stage is very careful in that there's no way to disprove that it is the person. And it's all the circumstantial evidence that the police and the authorities just kind of go, Oh, look, here's his wallet. Right. And here's his, he was supposed to have died in a fire. And here's a writing on the wall that says, my name is whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, they, yeah. they don't look farther than that. Cause why would they? But he's like, it's, we have to be very careful about how we do this. And in, in his speech. Um, yeah. I, I, I think to your general point, there are a lot of points in the plot that didn't sort of fit together to me. Like if you're a guy who basically blackmails people into this and takes all their money and stages a like, why, why set them up with some sort of a great life? I mean, is that yeah. just kill them? You know, just euthanize them and use them for the next body. Or is that the only way you can get new? You know, and if he's been doing this and there's he's clearly done it at least 20 times because we see that many seconds in the thing and you have all of these estates. Why are you still doing it? I mean, you're an old man, so you're fine. Like, I can't imagine him having a wife and kids that he's trying to. You know, why do you keep he says it's because he really there's a philanthropic like he's really trying to but that is perverse in the scope of this because right off the bat there's the blackmail element like mm -hmm. it's all manipulation from the very get-go so it's it has a predatory feel this entire setup and yet he he he, he tells rock hudson oh i'm doing this because you know so many people get get off on the you know, they get off on the wrong track and, and I'm giving them a chance to live the life they always wanted. Yeah. And you're kind of like, that doesn't really hold water, man. I, you know, but that's the ex the only explanation the movie gives us for why this is happening. And maybe that's one of these things where, you know, nobody thinks they're a villain. Maybe this guy, you know, had justified to himself. I was like, hey, I'm stealing these guys money, but also I'm giving them a better life. You know? Right. Right. But it is insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like, I mean, I think people who embezzle or people who convince, convince themselves it's a victimless crime or even serial killers who are murdering people and convincing them that they're freeing them from the miseries of this life, whatever. This is a whole organization that employs Doing a whole lot of illegal things. I know. It's like the CIA. <laughs> they got people planning bodies and staging deaths and forging finances around so it's like a it's like it's it's more like a james bond villain or it's like this established mm. organization that, <laughs> this is a little sidetrack but in james bond whenever they have like specter or goldfinger or whatever the guy's got the lair i'm like i bet a thousand people work at that place Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just think about the office logistics. Like that's ordering toilet paper and printer paper. And mm -hmm. right. I mean, there's so much banal work that goes into a big organization like that. And that's not even that big an organization. But then you've got do these people not have families? Are they all just zealots to 
this villain who's building a weather machine. You know, it just if you think about it for more than three seconds, it falls apart because you're like, logistically, what is this? Right. It's not a government. Well, and they do some to, to that point, they do some uh, kind of neat things, I think, with that, where when he first goes to the to the office, you know, to where they're doing this sort of pitch with him. And, you know, the guy has ordered, they've brought food in the guys and he's like, Hey, you know, have some of the fried chicken or whatever. So it's just, it's, it's kind of what you're saying. It's just people working in an office, but they're doing this really bizarre stuff, you know, but it's just, it's just yeah, their job being the guy sort of explaining to him. And he's like, Oh, that chicken looks delicious. They bring him dinner. And he's like, I, I, I'm not hungry. And the guy keeps looking at it. He's like, actually, do you, do you mind if I, yeah, I guess he's like, are you sure? please and so the, as he's explaining to this basically guy they've hoodwinked that there's no going back he's like no this chicken is delicious <laughs> eating his dinner because <laughs> this guy because you just get the feeling this guy has explained this a hundred times you know and yeah and he's like oh it's really a pretty good deal for you actually you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah um from okay. a yeah go, go ahead. ahead sorry I was just going to say, just from a a filmmaking standpoint, um, this is this is basically a feature length Twilight Zone episode or Outer Limits, that kind of thing. I noticed it was based on a novel. Yes. And I think could have done it in an hour also. And which Mm -hmm. is not to say that I think this drags because I don't. But I think you could have achieved the same things this film achieves i think you could have if you had been meticulous about editing it you could have done it in mm-hmm. a long television episode you could it could have been an hour but also this is one of these things where uh you know they never want to do it because they want to do pre-existing properties but this would be a great thing to adapt as a series you know you could lengthen some of the stuff out more of the stuff of the uh you know his life after once he becomes a second and this could be an hbo show or something and you could tell other people's Uh, stories right yeah exactly you could um you could follow multiple people i mean it would almost be like a stepford wives you know type of a deal but uh but also i noticed and this is something i almost never noticed watching movies uh i noticed two or three times pretty major uh continuity errors where it would be like he's smoking a cigarette and they cut to somebody else and then they cut back to him and he doesn't have a cigarette anymore you know that kind of thing and i think that is really shows you the difference in filmmaking you know like you were talking about the pace but also who knows what the the budget was on this but it probably you know this movie did not cost probably the cost of this movie would probably not cover the craft services for any movie that you've seen in the movie theater in the last few years, you know, so expensive. uh, But also you have this movies from this time period are interesting to me because so this was 1966. So you have, this is a a crossroads sort of from kind of fifties filmmaking and you're getting into um, the kind of psychedelic era where they're where they're you know it's not overboard, but they're doing some stuff with weird camera angles and yeah. 
that you see a lot in 60s, you know, yeah. late 60s into early 70s kind of films, which is just just watching this. I was just so struck by how different it looks from yeah. what we watch all the time now. Yes. And that that sequence where the woman he meets kind of he, I was going to say drags him to this thing, but he says, can I go with you? But once he gets there, it's pretty clear he's uncomfortable. And, and she then is sort of dragging him along with this big crowd of people who are playing flutes and beating drums. And it is literally a bacchanalia. Mm -hmm. um, they dump all the grapes in the vat. And uh, they mostly get naked and all get in the vat and they're stomping the grapes and they're drunk and they're smoking dope. And uh we don't see them have a sexual orgy, but it is a it is a bacchanalian orgy in that sense. And then which he really it's not his vibe until sort of suddenly it switches and he's he lets go and he's laughing and covered in wine. And um, and that felt very 1966 to me, where you take the straight lace person and but there is that, you know, it wasn't this peace and love like, oh, now here's people in their natural state. There was something very menacing and very mindless and mob about it. Did mm -hmm. you see that, too? And just people's eyes were glazed over and they were smiling, but there was no individual there was no individual period. It was just this sort of like, it was like the Bacchae enthralled to Bacchus and they were in a sort of a fugue state. And it, it actually was one of the more scary scenes of the movie for me. Cause I thought, well, in the play, the Bacchae, they tear him apart. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they literally rip him limb from limb with their bare hands. But uh, it, there's not really any of this that you watch and you're like, oh, that would be fun. You know, you just get right. sort of swept up at the moment. You know, it's it. Yeah, it's this it's character. Kind of yeah. Part of what makes it feel so sad is this character, both before and after uh, he is transformed, just seems really lonely and sad throughout. Mm -hmm. And he seems to find a glimmer of of. Like maybe this woman, this new woman is exciting to me and maybe painting is nice. But he never seems excited in his new life. He never seems liberated in this new life. He's he always seems haunted by the choices he didn't make somehow, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, I wondered what. I, I don't have an answer to this per se, but I wondered if you thought, what do you think this movie is trying to say? Seconds to me is about second chances. Um, and the seconds every second of our lives, right? But what was what are some of the themes you think this thing is is trying to convey? I mean, I think like we talked about before. There's there's definitely a message in there, I think, of maybe not conforming to what, you know, society says you have to do or is going to make you happy or whatever. Because, you know, I mean, he definitely makes a clear speech about that, that it's sort of like I had all the stuff that you're supposed to. He talks about the things, you know, right. and and, you know, think about 1966 compared to now we've accelerated so you know we weren't alive in 1966 but we've society has accelerated so much from being 
I mean, it was a consumer society in 1966, but probably nothing compared to the consumerism that we have now, you know? So there's definitely that thing of, oh, you just, if you have the right house or the right car or the right clothes or whatever, you know, you're, you're going to be, be happy. But I think also there uh, is probably an aspect of that, you know, life is short, so you need to take chances. You can't just, you know, this kind of life that he lived where he was just detached from everything, you know, you don't really get much out of that. I don't know. What did you think? Well, actually, I asked the question and your answer made me think of something interesting as he says, you know, I, I, I went to college and I, you know, I did the things that I felt I was that society was telling me I was supposed to do. And I accrued the things that society, you know, told me that I was supposed to accrue. Mm-hmm. It didn't make me happy. And so what he's sort of saying is I lived the prescribed life. I didn't make the choices that I wanted to make. I didn't even necessarily think about the choices that I wanted. I lived the prescribed life. And then they transform him into what they describe as, all right, well, we'll make you look the way you always wish you looked and we'll we'll let you do. We ask you what you want to do and we'll set you up doing the thing you always wanted to do. But the life after his transformation is just as prescribed. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to work for it, right? He already did that. It's his money. Yeah. He doesn't have to work for it. He can do the thing, but he's he's not really supposed to leave the place and he can't talk about certain stuff and he can't behave a certain way. And there's a lot that he's not allowed to do, right? Mm-hmm. You now we we asked you what kind of new box you want, and you told us, and now we gave you that box and stay in your damn box. Right. This is right. the box you said you wanted. And I think that part of his rebellion and going to see his wife was, but that's not. Uh, you know, a man is not the box he's in. A man is the experiences and what he starts to hunger for is some sort of understanding. Uh, I mean, you know, whether or not he is passionate about his wife at that point in his life, whether or not they've grown apart and that's sort of over and perhaps too late, he doesn't hate her. No, he doesn't wish her ill and he doesn't feel that way about his daughter. And they are connections he has in his life that in this after. He's not, they're verboten, they're forbidden. So it's a little bit like you get this second chance, but somehow you still long for the thing you can't have or you're not supposed to have. And maybe it's not like, oh, I always wanted to be a painter. Why did I become a banker? And it's more like, well, the grass is always greener is really, you know, it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on, the other side of the fence and I think now that I say that, I think that's that seems like a theme that is strongly sort of reinforced throughout this movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The grass is always greener aspect, I think, is definitely part of it. Um, and, you know, that was one thing that struck me. There's one of the scenes where he's just walking down the beach when he's first in uh, Malibu or wherever it is that he lives. And I thought, OK. You know, how many people to live on the beach in Malibu and you're just a painter or whatever would be their dream. It'd just be a dream life. Right. But imagine if in exchange for that, 
you could never talk to anybody. He would never be able to talk to anybody that he's ever known in his life. And, you know, he doesn't have these attachments and things, but I mean, just think about like, you can't ever, you know, not just your wife and your, and your daughter or whatever, but you can't ever talk to an old friend or anything. Cause they're not going to know who you, you know, you're, you're dead. You know, you know that, that makes uh, me, that makes me want to, there's another puzzling scene I want to ask you about. So he arrives at the airport before they've placed him. He arrives yeah. at the airport and this dude who looks like a cabbie just comes walking up and he's like, he knows the guy's new name. He's like, Tony, what's this? I don't remember. Do you remember? Wilson. Tony Wilson, you old so-and-so. Hey, how's it going, buddy? You know, and he's never seen him before, but this guy really seems to recognize him and he knows his new name. And he goes on and on. And then he's like, well, listen, man, I, I got to go, but it's great running into you. And he, you know, and he leaves. And then he asks his manservant that they assigned to him, John, later. And John sort of stiffens up for a minute. And he's like, hmm, must have been a misunderstanding. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that was supposed to be some ominous thing that we as the audience perceive. Like, oh, they're. They're not destroying identities. They're shuffling them around or something like that. But I couldn't. It never comes back. And I was like, how did that total rando guy know who he was? I was unsure about that as well. Yeah, you could think like he recognized that guy's face, but the name, too. Yeah, I didn't. That was a bit confusing to me. It seemed like a dangling thread, like it seemed important at the time and then then never came back as a. As as something that referred to anything, I mean, right, perhaps like John said, it's like, oh, maybe it was just a misunderstanding, but it didn't seem like that in the moment. It seemed very specific and he knew his name, Tony Wilson. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And and so I'm kind of like, why would you spend you know, two or three minutes on that scene. If it wasn't ever, maybe in the editing, they took some other relevant thing out. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they never. But yeah, I I was the same. I was expecting that to, you know, to him to see that guy and the company or something like that. But yeah, Um, they they never came back to it. Um, I don't I mean, that's do you have more that you want to talk about? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, it's a. I probably haven't seen a ton of Rock Hudson movies. I mean, I know he was, you know, he was kind of a romantic comedy guy. So I'm sure this was probably a, a very different role for him at the time. And he's all of the, I mean, again, it's, it's a, especially for modern audiences, it's just, it's, it feels modern in some ways, but it also feels, you know, very of its time. Uh, but you know all the performances are really good, and the in the direction and everything is is, you know I I think it's it's all really well done, and like I say, you know I've always been a big fan of Twilight Zone and uh, Outer Limits and those kind of shows, and and so this very much plays into that, you know that kind of genre. Yeah, and I I would recommend this movie, although. Um... With a caveat, I would say, you know, I wouldn't call this a hidden gem. I didn't think this movie was like, where is this? How did I not know about this film? You know, but I think it's um, it is interesting. And if you're into those old TV shows that that play around with this kind of stuff where the message and the moral is sort of buried in there and 
and it's part thriller, part horror, part mystery, and that this is right in that wheelhouse. And yeah. and then the only concrete criticism I would say is over the the almost two hours of this, it does feel like it <laughs> meanders a little bit in terms of what it's going for. And it it feels like it's a little longer than it needs to be. I think they could have done this. This could have been a great episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, an hour length would would be but, just about. But if you part. are also into it and you dig this and you, you know, I am I don't think I've ever seen a Rock Hudson movie, you know. He was a really handsome guy. I mean, there was a reason he was a movie star. Yeah, there was definitely a reason he was a huge a good star. actor. Um, uh, and you know, I think this is worth checking out. I'm glad that you recommended it. I'm glad we watched it. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it as well. It's a uh uh, it's a 7.6 on IMDb. So people who have seen it doesn't have a ton of reviews, but people who have seen it. Yeah. Seen you know, like I, it. Might, I might've given it a seven. Yeah. But just kind of one of those neat movies that I saw yeah. as a kid that has kind of stuck with me some, and I don't know, it came up on some list and I thought, Oh, that'd be, and I thought, ah, I wonder if this holds up as well as like, like I say, I, I, rem- it, it was a lot scarier to me when I was younger and, and now it's not really. Yeah. You know, well, God, film. our existence in 2022 is. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're facing every existential crisis. There is this nuclear yeah. annihilation and uh, the global climate collapse. And I mean, there's war in Europe and, and we've got fascists, you know, trying to create an autocracy and uh, I mean, everything, everything. Gas is five dollars. It's just but it still touches on, you know, same identity um, crises. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Identity crises that people that people have today. So um, I wanted to just really quickly talk about uh, as an aside, I saw the new film Nope in the theater last night. Yeah, um, you liked it. I liked it quite a bit and I don't want to, it would be almost impossible to really talk about it without spoiling it. So I'm not going to spoil it. Um, Have you seen either of his other films? Did you see get out or us? You know, I'm almost ashamed to say I haven't watched either of those. I feel like I have because I've participated in so many conversations and listened to so much discussion about it, but I, I haven't seen any of I've, and I've watched some of Jordan Peele's. He had, um, there's Key an HBO show he did that was uh, Lovecraft Country and, of course, oh, okay. Ian Pill. So, I mean, I, I have a sense of the kind of cinematic work he's doing with Black Identity and horror. And um, and I'm sure those movies are great. And I keep meaning to see them. I just have. Yeah, we should definitely. Uh, we should. We should definitely cover his other films um, because they're it's the kind of horror that I think that you would enjoy this movie. Nope. Is, is being labeled as a horror film and it's, it's much more sci-fi than anything. There are, there were two or three scenes in it that are very uh, unsettling. And to the point of, I feel very, I've watched a million horror films in in my life and I feel jaded that like nothing really scares me, but there were a couple of scenes in this. I was like, Oh, if this continues like this, this is going to be, you know, a really I'm going to freak out. Yeah. I'm going to freak out. But but it it kind of doesn't go there. The, the, the thing that I would say with this is so he is. Uh, 
his films are very polarizing. So people seem to be, you know, you have people that are really into his stuff that you have people that they just hate it. Um, he's done three very unique films in my opinion. And I mean, it's hard to say much about this without you having seen them, but they're very different. And with this, I would almost say, so he wrote it, directed it and produced it. And the, the one kind of criticism I would have of, of this is it's, it's a bit disjointed and I, and it kind of shows to me, you could probably count on one hand living or dead the directors that can write, direct, and produce without somebody else stepping in to, to edit some, you know what I mean? Um, yes. Having a collaborator at the executive level that really can help shape and sort of sand off some of the rough edges is generally a positive thing for the piece. Right. And so I would say with this, again, without getting into any specifics on it, or there's a bit of that where it feels like it's it's maybe a bit too ambitious and there are, you know, it could have, have uh, done with a little more editing, uh, in my opinion. But the flip side of that, people who are tired of sequels and prequels and remakes and all that kind of stuff, this is a... Right, wholly original film. Yeah. I mean, it's where, where are the original movies? Well, yeah, go. So, yeah, this is if you want to see original an original film, and it's already in my area. I wanted to see it. Uh, I, w- I wanted to make sure that I saw it in the in the theater, and it's leaving the theaters here this weekend. So it's like this, you know, this week was the time to see it. Wow. Um, but it's uh, this has been described as this is his Spielberg Amblin film, which that I wouldn't, that would have not occurred to me at all. If, if, you know, if, if people weren't saying that about it, so I didn't really see this. You know, well, I've this, read articles that talk about the homage to close encounters of the third kind. Yeah. There's, there's third. definitely some close encounters stuff, uh, but still it's, you know, it's very different and this is a weird movie so it's interesting that it um uh, you know it it had a really huge opening because he's he's a big enough name now you know that he's opening films uh you know with, yeah. with pretty big box office so uh for me i just thought it was it was a really cool fun film and he's undeniably we de- we definitely need to watch okay his other stuff at some point because he's undeniably very talented. Um, so anyway, well, let's my... add it to our list. We have a couple in the queue and uh, just before we get to them, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com is our handle. We are on the socials. We're on YouTube. We're on podcasts. We're on Twitter and Facebook like, and subscribe. That's great. Um, thank you for listening or watching, whichever you're doing or both uh, comments, suggestions, all of that feedback especially constructive feedback is great. What we've talked about doing for next time is Pleasantville. Mm -hmm. Really interesting, strange movie from the 90s? 98, I think it is. From 98 with Tobey Maguire and uh, Kirsten Dunst, right? Uh, It's not Kirsten Dunst. It's uh, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Thank you. Um, that 
when you suggested that, I was like, oh, right, that movie. I may have seen that. I may never have seen it. I don't remember it clearly enough, but um, it's sort of sci-fi. It's as they kind mm-hmm. of yeah. There's a sci-fi. Yeah, definitely sci-fi. So, watch that with us for next time and then we've already sort of i don't want to spill it right now but we've already sort of uh locked up another film after that that's a gem Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't want to say right now because we change our mind enough um so pleasantville i have seen but you have not seen and then this the 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 film that we think is going to be after that you have seen but i have not seen we uh, (laughs) um (laughs) uh great so Check out Pleasantville and join us next week for when we talk about that. Um, Unless you have anything else to add? No, I think that's it. That's it, baby. We will talk to you all next week.